0: Hi, this is Andrew Phillips. Thank you for downloading the Graymere Church of Christ Sermon Podcast. If you have any questions or if you'd like to contact us, check out our website at graymere.com. We'd also love for you to visit with us in a worship service. You're always welcome at Graymere Church of Christ. Turn to Isaiah chapter 2. We'll be looking at a lot of different passages tonight, uh, but that's one that we'll uh, be beginning with. Uh, there is a lot taking place as... We enter into October, there's a lot going on. We have several that are part of the area wide and we're grateful for that uh, and wanna continue to remember them. Uh, We also had, I believe uh, 47 individuals, uh, ladies were able to be part of the ladies retreat uh, at some point this weekend. And so we're so thankful to all those who put that together. That took a lot of coordination on the part of a lot of different people. And so we're grateful for that uh, opportunity uh, and thankful for those opportunities to grow. Uh, we welcome the Robertsons. We're thankful that uh, they're part of our church family. You know you want to get to know them. And just a reminder, in this foyer and then out in the office hallway, we also have a bulletin board where we keep up with pictures of our uh, families that have placed membership with us. Uh, and it's just a good uh, reminder of people you want to introduce yourself to Uh, As we grow as a church family, we want to grow uh, larger and reach out, but we want to grow closer to each other and get to know each other better. And so I hope that that's something that we're thinking about. Tonight we're going to be starting a new uh, series, just a few weeks, where we're taking on a task uh, that all of us sort of have to face at some point or another in conversation. And that is, what do we say? How do we respond When people ask about the church, when we think about church matters, things that have to do with the church, how do we respond? Uh, And it's not just that there are certain matters that have to do with the church. When people ask us, why does the church matter? Uh, How do we reply? Uh, I've had the opportunity to be in a lot of different discussions uh, over the years, uh, whenever people... Uh, find out you're a minister, that does one of uh, two things. Number one, it might kill the conversation uh, and they might not have any other uh, things to say to you. Uh, I had that experience when I was uh, in college and had an opportunity to have a conversation with our benefit dinner speaker that year. Our benefit dinner speaker that year was Regis Philbin, and this was right after Who Wants to Be a Millionaire? was a big hit and he was had a had a morning talk show every day he was talking with people someone who interviewed people all the time and then i had a conversation with him and he was going through and he he said well what are you doing what do you plan to do when you graduate i said well i'm i'm preparing to go into ministry and then it even took you know regis philbin a second or two to say okay you know how how are we going to respond that. Sometimes that happens, you know, when people, uh, when you say you're a minister, I don't know. Sometimes they might take a moment to respond, or sometimes they'll say, okay, well, if you're a minister, let me ask you a question. And then that's always a fun one, because you never know uh, where it's going to come from. Sometimes it'll be a question about uh, an experience they've had in the past, Sometimes it'll be the question that a gentleman asked when I was at the post office several years ago in Nashville, dropping something off, and I had a shirt that uh, had the Harding Graduate School on there, and he said, Did you go to that school? And I said, yes. He said, are you a minister? And I said, yes. And he said, okay, tell me, who is Phineas. And I thought, I wasn't prepared for this as an Old Testament exam. You know, we're going through, it's a, you never know what kinds of questions people are going to come up with. But a lot of times people ask questions about the church. And it's important, I know you probably have your own responses, but I thought it might be helpful for the next few weeks for us to use these kinds of questions as an entry point to think about what it is we really believe and, and what it is that we want to share with others. And so as we spend time thinking about this tonight, we're going to start by just thinking about our identity. When people ask us about the church, when they ask about Graymere, what do we say our identity is? What's our purpose? Where, why are we here? Uh, what, what are we here to do? And so while this won't be an exhaustive list of all the things that Scripture says about the church, because we could spend weeks looking at what Scripture teaches us, these are some things that I think will be helpful for us and maybe encouraging, so a lot of times people will ask a question. Okay, you go to church at Greymere. They might say, "All right, uh, well, where is your church?" And we know what they mean by that. They mean where is the church building, right? We typically associate churches with buildings, at least in America. And so uh, we might explain where our church building is. But we also understand that the correct answer. So that question, or at least the, the accurate literal answer to that question, when someone says, where is your church, would be, well, it's, it's wherever its members are, right? And a, a weekday, that would be in a lot of different workplaces, a lot of different schools, a lot of different neighborhoods. In other words, we are the church, and so the church is where God's people are. But we understand people ask that question, where? They're thinking about a location, and someone might ask, well, okay, well, when do you go to church? And again, we know what they mean by that. They typically mean, well, when are your worship services, right? What are the times you get together to worship? When do you go to church? But of course, we know that if we wanted to give a full answer to that question, we would say, well, we, we never start or stop when we're Christians. We're always part of the church. We're always members of the Lord's church. Sometimes I think about that when you see a news story that comes out. Maybe someone's got caught on a microphone saying something when they thought the microphone was off, but it was really still on, or it was really recording. It's kind of a reminder to all of us the importance of having everything we say be the kind of thing we wouldn't mind other people hearing. Having everything we do be the kind of thing we wouldn't mind other people saying. There's not a start or a stop button. When I'm a part of the church, I'm a part of God's family 24 7 and then someone might ask this question they'll say okay well what is the church of Christ again we know that the question might be motivated just by saying hey I passed the building I've seen the sign Uh, I've wondered what exactly uh, is the church about and especially if we think about all the different perspectives that someone could have about what a church looks like all the different experiences that a person could have with the church positive or negative, sometimes it's hard for us to know where to begin. And I thought this morning, as we looked at First Peter and noticed that in the first few verses of First Peter chapter 1, he reminds them of who they were, of who their identity uh, was found in, and that was going to equip them to deal with all the challenges. It's good for us, different times, to be reminded of who we are. Is the church. And so what I've, I've tried to do over the last few years is make sure that at least one point in the year, we have a series that's focused on our identity in the church, who we are, who God has designed the church to be. More importantly, are we living up to that standard? And the reason I think that's important is because the way my mind works, there can be times when I'll think about something and think, oh yeah, we had a sermon series on that just a couple of months ago. And then I might get on the website and start scrolling down and think, no, actually, that's been a few years ago, right? It it might seem recent, but we haven't touched on that. And so this is one of those things every year we want to spend time thinking through, reminding us of our vision. So while this may not be a comprehensive understanding, I'd like for us to start tonight by just thinking about how we would answer that question. Who are we? I think we could start with, The definition that we are God's people. That we're the people of God. If I'm a part of the church, I'm part of God's people. A church that was planned by God. Again, thinking back to the term chosen and elect that Peter used in 1 Peter chapter 1, uh, the church is not an afterthought. It's not a byproduct of sort of plan C or D in God's line of plans. This is part of god's will that he would have a people and we see it in the old testament we see it begin there now the church is established in the new testament we read about the church in the new testament and and maybe the phrase that's been used well we're just trying to be a new testament church i understand that that phrase i understand that focus i want to be part of the church we read about in the new testament as well but the church we read about in the new testament has roots all throughout scripture And I need to understand what both Old and New Testaments say if I really want to appreciate the church that I'm part of. And so we could trace it all the way back to the beginning when God puts man and and woman in the garden, and we can get a sense of the kind of relationship God wanted to have where they could communicate freely. Sin enters the picture, and then there's a barrier. And so in Genesis chapter 12... The book of Genesis, rather than being broad in scope, starts to narrow in. And God makes a promise to Abraham, a specific promise, that He's going to make him a great nation. And it's not just that Abraham's going to be made a great nation, but that he is going to bless other nations. And then we read the prophets like Isaiah that describe in Isaiah chapter 2, beginning in verse 2, Now it will come about that in the last days, The mountain of the house of the Lord will be established as the chief of the mountains and will be raised above the hills, and all the nations will stream to it. And many peoples will come and say, Come, let us go up to the mountain of the Lord, to the house of the God of Jacob, that He may teach us concerning His ways, and that we may walk in His paths. For the law will go forth from Zion, and the word of the Lord from Jerusalem. He's pointing to a time when God's word is going to go forth from Jerusalem. And in the small auditorium this morning, we spent time in Acts chapter 2. And where are the apostles? When in Acts chapter 2, they're in Jerusalem. And they're where Jesus told them to be. That's where He wanted them to stay. That's where the Word was going to go forth. We also read from prophets like Daniel. Daniel has to interpret a dream that Nebuchadnezzar has that troubles him. No other wise man could do it, but God through Daniel interprets this dream. And there's a dream that contains a statue. A statue has a head made of gold, breast and arms of silver, belly and thighs of bronze, its feet of iron and clay. And Nebuchadnezzar is confused as to what this could possibly mean. And so we can sort of look through historically and see that each one of those represents a kingdom. The way Daniel described it is that the head of gold represented the kingdom of Babylon. That would get Nebuchadnezzar's attention. But there would be other kingdoms that come, other parts of that statue. But at the end, there's a stone that's made without hands that strikes the statue and crushes it. God is going to set up a divine kingdom. There will be a kingdom that endures beyond all others. And again, we see God's people described. There will be a time when God will be the one who is in charge of His people. And those promises come to realization In the New Testament and so when Peter confesses that Jesus is the Messiah and Jesus looks at Peter in Matthew chapter 16 and he says to him that I say to you you are Peter upon this rock I will build my church and the gates of Hades will not overpower it Uh, it's true that Peter's name or the the name that Jesus gave Simon Peter it's true that it means a stone And then Jesus is talking about a rock here. Uh, But if you look at the context of what's happening when Peter gives the great confession that Jesus is the Son of God, and you also even look at the language itself, the masculine case for the word for stone for Peter, for his name, and the feminine case for the word that Jesus uses to describe the rock, it's not that he's saying Peter's going to be the rock that the church will be built on he's saying what you have said what the confession you've made that's going to be the rock-solid foundation of the church that i build. now peter's going to have a big part of that peter's going to be instrumental in that happening but it's not based on a man it's based on the truth that he shared and because of that truth that church is going to be built and then the way paul would tell the church in ephesus about it in ephesians chapter 3 in verse 8, he would say to me, the very least of all saints, this grace was given to preach to the Gentiles the unfathomable riches of Christ and to bring to light what is the administration of the mystery which for ages has been hidden in God who created all things so that the manifold wisdom of God might now be made known. How is it going to be made known? It's going to be made known through the church, through the rulers and authorities, and in heavenly places. This was in accordance with the eternal purpose which he carried out in Christ Jesus our Lord. In other words, Jesus was going to establish the church and that church had a specific purpose. And so when I think about being a member of the church, it's, it's easy for us when we think about church to think of it in human terms, right? We, we know each other. We know the human beings. We, we know the people that are involved and that means we know our imperfections. But it's important to realize that when we look at being part of God's people, we're a part of a divine plan. It doesn't mean everyone in the church is divine. It doesn't mean everyone in the church always knows what they're doing all the time or is always doing what's right. But it means that the plan of the church was divinely created by God. And so the church belongs to Him. This is one reason why it's often referred to as the bride. Of Christ or another analogy is the body of Christ uh, there are so many things that we think of uh, in relation to this but you could notice in Ephesians chapter 1 the way Paul words it he put all things into subjection under his feet and he gave him his head over all things to the church which is his body the fullness of him who fills all in all the church is his body Romans 12, so we who are many are one body in Christ, and individually members one of another. As we think about some of the language that we use, when we describe ourselves as members of the church, we're describing ourselves as part of the body. Sometimes in our our English usage today, we think more about members in terms of uh, membership of a club or I'm part of an organization. But the way Scripture uses the idea of membership is part of a body. And so when we think about being a member, and here's why I want to place my membership with this congregation, I'm going to be part of this body. I'm going to be working along with the body of Christ and universally as we think about what it means to be part of the church, but also this congregation. I'm going to be a part of the body working here. And the way he would remind the Corinthians of it in 1 Corinthians chapter 12, now you are Christ's body and individually members of it. You are His body. That means we belong to God. Someone asked me a question one time at an organizational meeting uh, and they knew that I was a minister uh, in the church and they said, okay, well, what will your people think about this? They used the phrase, your people. And I had to say, well, wait a minute, you know, I think you might misunderstand. This is not my group. I'm not in charge, right? We're we're part of God's people. We have shepherds that oversee us, but those shepherds are under the guidance of the God that all of us serve. We're His people. And that means what we seek is we seek to be Christians only. When it comes to the different kinds of names that could be applied to Christians, I think I just like, uh, more than anything else, the idea of saying, hey, I'm just wanting to be a Christian. I'm, I'm a Christian, and as others have put it, a Christian only. Uh, here's the way we see this unity play out. We unite under the Word of God rather than anything else. Paul would tell the church in Corinth in 1 Corinthians 2, we've received not the Spirit of the world, but the Spirit who is from God so that we may know the things freely given to us by God, in which things we also speak. Not in words taught by human wisdom, but in those taught by the Spirit, combining spiritual thoughts with spiritual words. I'm thankful that as God's people, we don't have to rely on our own collective wisdom. There are times when collective wisdom is helpful. But all of us know there are issues that come up in life, and there are situations we face where it doesn't matter how wise we are, we're not going to know what to do. We're not going to have a way forward. And so we unite, we seek to be His people that follow His words. 2 Timothy three sixteen defines Scripture this way. It's inspired by God, God breathed, and it's profitable for teaching, reproof, correction, training in righteousness, anything that we need when it comes to our development and our training. God's given us in His Word. So that we can be equipped for every good work. And seeking to be Christians only means all I'm concerned about is what God says in His Word. To me, this is helpful when you start having discussions, and maybe you've had a discussion like this one, where someone has said, Oh, Church of Christ, huh? And it's almost some there are times you almost know what's coming next. So you think, right? You think you're the only ones who are going to heaven. Maybe you've had that conversation with someone. Maybe someone's made that statement to you. I think what's happened is as we have tried to teach people that we want to follow God's Word, and in God's Word, He says, this is what you need to do to be part of the church. This is what you need to do to go to heaven. We don't have the authority. God does. But sometimes those discussions can can be fraught. I don't think any of us have been placed in a position as a judge. In fact, we haven't. But we know that God is the judge, so all I can do is try to follow His Word to the best of my ability. That's all I want to do. And so when it comes to uh, deciding what kind of Christian do I want to be, I want to be a Christian we read about in Scripture. I want to be a Christian only. That's all I'm looking for. Uh, You may be familiar with the Uh, tabernacle sermons that were preached there were several sessions of them and this is a picture of uh, what it looked like in the Ryman Auditorium on a Sunday afternoon in 1922 uh, when M.B. Hardiman uh, preached a series of big uh, meetings that that took place and I wanted to share this because there's something that he wrote uh, in the second uh, series of those so this would have been about a year later And he says, having simply believed and obeyed the gospel, we propose to be Christians only. Now, there's a wonderful difference between saying that we claim to be Christians only and that we claim to be the only Christians. The Bible clearly predicts that the Lord's people, some of them will be engaged in a state of confusion and the Lord bids His people to come out of that state and just stand, if you please, as humble Christians only. We just want to be God's people. We want to follow Him. And so when someone asks us about the church, I think we can say, well, as a church, we're trying to be part of God's people. I I want to be God's people. But I want to be God's people who are living by God's authority. Authority is not a very popular word these days. Uh, We don't live in a culture that just loves the idea of authority. And yet, I think we live in a culture that longs for something solid that longs for something that that you can sink your teeth into or a foundation that you can build on. And so not only are we God's people, but because we're God's people, we're living under His authority. And it's not a negative thing. We've already seen the way God charts the course for His church in Scripture. God is the one who gives us the commands. When we think about becoming a part of the church, we look to Scripture and see how that happens. When we think about what the church should be doing, we look to Scripture to see what we should be doing. And so we're under His authority. There's not a group, there's not a, a designated organization or committee that makes decisions for what churches are going to do. What we see in Scripture is congregations are led by shepherds that are seeking to follow God's will. That's the biblical model. And so we want to be under God's authority and what does it take to become a member of that church well we look to scripture how how did people become a member of the church in the first century that's what i want to be part of and so that's what we're going to do i'm not going to create a requirement where there wasn't one there and i don't want to ignore anything that is in there as a requirement to become a child of god now one of the things that's interesting when we have conversations with people is they might ask about the history, specifically the history of Churches of Christ in America. And it's good to be reminded that we have a history, that there, there are things that we can look to historically and appreciate the people who were involved. And so it's worth knowing about what happened in the frontier preaching movement, that Uh, Has come to be called the restoration movement of people who were wanting to leave other groups and just unite under Scripture. They were just wanting to be God's people under God's authority. And it happened in fits and starts, and not everything about uh, everyone who was working in there was perfect. They didn't understand everything perfectly. They were human beings. But I'm thankful for what they were seeking to do. I'm thankful for what their goal was. In fact, it's interesting to see that as the American frontier was being settled, there was kind of a new uh, feeling that, okay, now we're settling this new nation. Maybe we should re-examine some things. And so because of that, there was a, a spiritual awakening of people wanting to re-examine. Well, what, what have we always thought about this? And so at that time, you would have circuit riders. A lot of times you'd have preachers that rode out in pairs And you'd have the older men preaching and the younger one exhorting. So the preacher would stand up and preach a sermon on a gospel theme and then the younger man would come up and give that impassioned plea for people to respond. Some of the influential preachers we read about during this time were men like Elias Smith, James O'Kelly, maybe Barton W. Stone. These may be people that you've heard of or that you're familiar with. I'm thankful for people who were wanting to push and to say, let's unite under Scripture. Let's see what Scripture has to teach us. Not pictured here, but one of the ones that maybe is is most well-known from the Restoration Movement is Alexander Campbell. And it's interesting even to see Campbell's approach. He had been trained uh, by European rhetorical standards. He comes to the frontier, and he starts to re-examine what he had been taught. And so there's a a shift from the circuit-riding preachers as as people become Christians and as churches are established and they're wanting to just go back, just let's unify under the truth of God's Word. It wasn't a desire to start something different or something new or let's just kind of add something to what already exists. Let's come together under God's Word. Now, when we think about individuals historically, we can be grateful for them. I'm grateful for them. But I'm not seeking to be part of a group they started. I'm seeking to be part of the church that's described in scripture we don't We don't worship or hold them in such reverence uh, that we want to be a part of that group. We seek what they sought. We seek what they were looking for unity in God's word. And so when individuals ask about, well, okay, what about these?" people in churches of Christ, and what about these uh, restoration movement leaders? I say, I'm grateful for them. I enjoy learning about them. I'm thankful for what they have done and the impact they've had in my life, especially in the people I worship with. But I don't exalt any individual. I just seek what they sought. They were seeking to unify. And so that's what we're seeking to do. We're God's people under God's authority. But there's another part of that, and I'm afraid that sometimes uh, this is a part that we might not spend as much time on. We're God's people. We're under God's authority, but we're also on God's mission. In other words, there's something we're here to do, and I want to be the church we read about in the New Testament. And I I want to worship the way that church worshipped. I want to teach what that church taught. But if I read through the book of Acts correctly, that was a church that was on a mission. And so that also means it's not only about getting things uh, that are in accordance with Scripture, and let's get things together, and let's get church working the way uh, that it works according to Scripture. It's also about how are we reaching out. How are we on mission how are we leading others to god in the beginning of acts jesus gives his people a mission it starts in jerusalem and then it goes to judea and samaria and to the ends of the earth and the idea all the way through the book of acts is that when god's word comes to a place the church not only is planted there but things start to change because this is a church that's on a mission it starts close to home which means As a congregation, we're called to ask ourselves, what are we doing locally in our mission to fulfill God's mission? I think about Into the City that just resumed a couple of Wednesday nights ago. And all the different opportunities that have come up for us to be able to connect with our community on mission, sharing the message we have with them. We think about the mission God gives the church we're called not only to reach out to our community, we're also called to care for each other. It's been so encouraging to see individuals week in and week out preparing meals as part of our meals ministry. That's an important function of the church. What that's doing is that's caring for people in need. That's doing good to one another. How many times in the New Testament do we read these one another passages? We're living out our mission and that's also a reason why the Missions Minute updates, why the things that we read about, our mission efforts, uh, not just in the states, but also overseas, are so important. Because that's part of God's mission. That there's an action that's part of it. And there might be a temptation. I'm not saying that any of us here uh, have fallen into this. I'm just saying the temptation exists. That we say, I want to be part of church, I want to do things the way God wants us to in worship, and I want to believe what God wants me to believe. And there might be a temptation to think, okay, that's where it stops. I've done everything I need to do. And yet Scripture tells us it's not enough. It's we need to be part of God's people. And we need to be under God's authority, but we also need to be on mission for God. That's how a Christian is defined. It doesn't mean that all of us are doing the exact same things. We're members of a body. We're functioning in different ways. But we're all on mission for Him. That mission continues today. It starts from home, it starts from our surroundings. And we're teaching the same message, we're preaching the same message. When we share with people what it takes to become a child of God, there are a lot of different ideas out there that you can read about here's what it takes to become a Christian, what I want to do is say, hey, I've got the same mission that the church in Acts had, and so I'm going to teach what that church in Acts taught. Sometimes in these discussions, someone might even ask about baptism, making, maybe making the statement, well, you know, you just believe that baptism is what saves you. And in a kind way, in a loving way, I try to respond, well, I believe God's the one that saves us. And because God saves us, He's got the authority to tell us how that process works. All I can know is what God's told me in His Word. And what He's told me in His Word is that here's how that process looks like. Here's what we constantly see people do when they turn their life over to Christ. They are immersed into water. That's the location where God says you come in contact with the forgiving blood of Jesus. It's the point of exchange. It doesn't earn anything. It doesn't earn your salvation. It's just the point in which God has said, when you do this, you rise up to live a new life. And so it's important that we understand God's the one who's doing the saving, but the importance is for us to submit our will to His. If I'm living under His authority and I'm on mission, that means when I tell people what it takes to become a Christian, all I have to do is look in His Word don't have to rely on any traditions. You don't have to rely on what somebody standing up here would say. You just look in the Word of God, and we can know what it takes. The church is described by Paul to Timothy as the pillar and the ground of truth. The best thing that we can do, especially in a world that's often as confused as ours is, the best thing we can do is hold up the truth of God's Word. That's what the church is called to do, to be a pillar And to hold that up, we're God's people, we're under God's authority, and we're on God's mission. And so maybe a good way for me to sort of ask myself a question tonight would be, number one, am I one of God's people? Am I a part of His family? Am I a part of the body of Christ, the bride of Christ? And if so, am I living by His authority Am I allowing God to determine how I live, what I do, say? And if I've chosen to do that, if I'm only going to live by God's authority, am I on His mission? Am I plugged into His mission somewhere in this congregation? There are so many things that are happening in our church family, so many opportunities to be plugged in. It's my hope that as we think about these conversations and as we think about our identity, uh, we can embrace these discussions. We can embrace these conversations. We can uh, we can talk with people. We can uh, make an impression on them, but hopefully leave them with the understanding all we're trying to do is what God would have us to do. It may be that you need to be part of God's people tonight, that you need to put Christ on in baptism. As we've already seen, that's the location. That's the place in which Sins are forgiven, not because of physical water, but because of obedience to a God who's given us a way to become a child of His. It may be there's another need you have of encouragement. There's some more questions we could answer or we could study with you. If there's any way we could help you, please let us know as we stand and as we sing together.